Hey, y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith America podcast. This is volume 100-something. And my wife asked me last week when she was listening, she goes, "Did you do you just not know what number it is? Like, why do you keep saying that? And I said, well, that's an inside joke between Travis and me because for some reason he believes that once you get past 100, you don't need to count anymore. It's like 130 or something, but, I mean – Lainey, if she's got questions about the podcast, I told her she needs to go through the producer and not to the talent. I, I would appreciate it if she could abide by those rules. I, you know, I'm just absolute truth. There are simple, certain simple requests, Lainey. There are certain chains of chains of communication that need to be adhered to. I know that in my job because I could go straight to some individuals who, whom I cover, but I go through the proper protocols to make sure everything <laughs> works out the right way. Uh, I'll remind her of that. Uh, we have. And one of my favorite guests ever on today's podcast, and it's someone that many of you know about, you know his story, Uh, and I wanted the opportunity to chat with him about it myself. I saw this person early in the football season, my first game of the season, the University of Central Florida Knights were in Atlanta, Georgia to face the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And after that game, which UCF won, I was standing in the corner of the end zone near the visitor's locker room to interview Josh Heupel, the head coach at UCF. And running across the field in street clothes and up to me came Mackenzie Milton, who for a couple of years there, was one of the most dynamic football players in this country. Running the ball, passing the ball with unbelievable precision in that UCF up-tempo track meet system. And then he suffered against the University of South Florida in late November 2018, a catastrophic knee injury in which his knee was dislocated He suffered nerve damage that eliminated blood flow to his lower leg. And as a result, there was fear when he got in the locker room after that injury that it might be an injury that might result in something that is life-changing. And that's because doctors felt for a pulse in his lower leg at that time, and there was no pulse. So they rushed him immediately to the hospital where he underwent emergency surgery. And ultimately, now more than two years later, he has departed the University of Central Florida via the transfer portal to Florida State University, where he will play for the Seminoles in the fall of 2021 and is currently in Tallahassee working to win the starting quarterback job as the Seminoles will face the Notre Dame fighting Irish on September 5th in their season opener. It is a movie. Second week in a row, Travis, we've had a movie script. Well, I was just going to say last week you talked about how when you got into college football that you no longer root for teams, you root for players. And this is the definition of somebody that come September 5th, I'm rooting for him to be out there as a quarterback. Granted, I don't like Notre Dame, so I'd be rooting for Florida State anyways, but I'm rooting for Mackenzie Milton specifically. So am I. Uh, we all are. And, and if you guys haven't seen, after you listen to this edition, this episode of Marty Smith's America, if you, if you want to know a little bit more about Mackenzie's injury and his comeback from it, Tom Rinaldi, I'm going to still call him our colleague, even though he's now at Fox Sports, uh, did a – unbelievable piece on college game day this past fall uh on mckenzie so go to youtube and find that i just watched it again this morning quick quickly on our boy rinaldi joe buck taught i'm had the game on and i'm not paying attention with the volumes on and i hear joe buck and now let's go to tom rinaldi and i'm like wait what it like i did this double take that i just it's still processing Every one of us that were watching that game you're talking about, I'll tell you, when I saw Tom with that Fox Sports mic flag, all of us were sort of like, wow, wow. Um, we love you, Tommy, and, and 
just thrilled for him and his new horizons and frontiers that, you know, he, he the Super Bowl and the World Cup and, and, and the World Series and wh- whatever he wants to do, uh, he's going to do. Just the best storyteller of them all. So his piece on McKenzie was unbelievable. And I, I, I urge you guys to go watch that after, of course, you hear us chat with McKenzie. You're going to learn a lot about yourself through the grace that this young man carries innately within him. He had, he was well on his way to coming back after that catastrophic injury and then had another setback, you'll hear him discuss, that was mentally, emotionally, and physically demanding of him. And he just has, he's just such an amazing example for us all. Uh, But before we get to McKenzie, we have plenty to discuss. And before we get to our breakdown of the college football playoff national championship, I want to remind y'all to check out the Hoop Collective podcast with Brian Windhorst. Nobody covers the NBA like Wendy. So if you're an NBA nut, make sure you check it out. Download and subscribe to the Hoop Collective and Marty Smith's America wherever y'all get your podcasts. All right, I'm still getting my bubbles level from the college football playoff national championship. I was in Miami. Oh, was there was there a game? I didn't. No, there was. There was a football game in South Florida on Monday night. Uh, it was it was a very unique game because it had two of the maybe the two. I would put Notre Dame in there as well in terms of the national brands in college football facing off against one another with University of Alabama Crimson Tide and Travis Rockhold's The Ohio State Buckeyes. And there was great anticipation for this game. Uh, Some of the best players in all of college football participating in this game. As we know, Alabama dominated the award season. If you could win it, they won it for the most part. Was it 12 out of 17 awards? Yeah, yeah. They Their offensive line won the Joe Moore. Their center won the Remington. Uh, their quarterback won the Davey O'Brien. Their wide receiver won everything else. I was joking on SDP's podcast. Um, we were talking about the video game NCAA 14. I've never had three of my players finish in the top five of the Heisman voting on a video game. A yep. video game. Yeah, and Nick and, Saban oh, did that in real life. And I forgot about Najee. Uh, the running back won the, the Doak Walker. So it's just on and on. And so you have all of that coupled with the intrigue of a team that played five regular season games and then had the opportunity to play in its conference championship based on uh, a, a reversal of a rule, which was kind of the theme of the Big Ten in 2020. Uh, figure it out as you go and do what they believe was best for the conference. And so Ohio State got the opportunity to play Northwestern. They beat Northwestern in a Big Ten championship game. And then they validated everything that everyone had questions about by dominating Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. And so there they were in Miami with the opportunity to play for a national championship. And – Then we find out as the game inches closer that Justin Fields was feeling very good after that crushing hit from James Skowski in the Sugar Bowl, uh, after which Fields put together one of the gutsiest performances you'll ever see with more than 400 total yards of offense, six touchdowns. And he comes into the game, and and, uh, even though he was still grimacing from time to time during warm-ups, was ready to go. But we got the news. The news began to filter out uh, late last week that Ohio State might be without two of its best defensive linemen, Tyree Smith. Not even just two. I mean, there was talks of postponing the game for a week, and the CFP even went as far as saying, oh, wait, we actually do have a set of rules or guidelines for a team to be eligible to play in the game, which – until that had come out, it, the what we had known was that the teams would abide by their conference protocols. And That's now correct. there was a set of rules that we didn't know about, but they had to have it. It almost came into play. And and Travis made this point to me. Just so you guys know, I was given an assignment 
the day of the championship game, the morning to, to appear on Sports Center. And it was a bit of a crash course for me to make sure that I was properly prepared for those appearances. And uh, Travis being the de facto Ohio State expert in my life, uh, real, I appreciate you, man. You really helped me out a ton. And, and so then, once we learned that it looks like Tommy Togiai and, and Tyreek Smith might be out, we didn't know for sure, but the most well-versed Ohio State reporters were, were feeling really confident about that. And you realize then that you go, okay, the one way that we all sort of felt like going into the game that Ohio State could disrupt the Alabama juggernaut was for the defensive front to get pressure on Mac Jones with just four, like they did against Trevor Lawrence in the Sugar Bowl, very effectively. And then those two guys were ultimately confirmed out, and you go, oh, that's a major, major, major issue for Ohio State's defense when they're taking on one of the most prolific offenses in the history of the sport, maybe the most prolific, and with a quarterback that shattered the record for QBR since the metric was invented, with the Heisman Trophy winner on the perimeter, and with, again, the Doak Walker Award winner behind him. Oh, and the Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line in front of him. It's just – you they – you. The, the Buckeyes had to be at full tilt. They, they had to be – had to have everybody and play their best game to yep. win. And I, and I sent you a text, and we were communicating a lot on Monday, and I, I told you in a text, I said, if it comes out that these two can't play, I can't stress enough mm-hmm. how big this is. And yeah, it I mean, was – I mean, those two against Clemson. I mean, I think Tyreek on the year – like he led the team in pressure on the quarterback and Tommy Togai was probably the most consistent defensive lineman on our team. It was interesting because in, in, in all of our pregame work, a lot of you, a lot of you guys listening probably did not see anything that I did down there. And that's, that's okay. It was, uh, I hosted sec nation on the sec network. So if you're a fan of, of any other conference, I'm sure. And even if you're an sec fan, you might have been watching College Game Day because they were on at the Reese and the boys were on at the same time we were, and their set, in fact, was I almost Kirk Herbstreit and I were almost back to back. Our sets were right beside each other, up above the field there at Hard Rock Stadium, and but that's what I was down there for, and it it filled me with so much joy to be there, and and it filled me with so much joy and fulfillment to. Just Talk Football with Tim Tebow, Jordan Rogers, and Roman Harper. I had a blast, but I will tell you, this gives you an idea of, of one of the many innumerable – is that a word? I don't know. It's, it's my podcast, so it'll be a word on we'll my make podcast. It up. Of the numerous vital attributes that a producer brings to someone who talks on television. If I had a question about Ohio State, I had a, a, a valuable resource in my pocket because Travis was available to me all day. And it was such a blessing to me, ultimately. It was funny. I started laughing right in the middle of the show. We're live on TV for two and a half hours, I think it was, uh, leading up to the national championship game. And at 7 o'clock or 7.15 or whatever time that was that Ohio State released its inactives, my phone starts blowing up from my SEC network producers, the, the game day group, and, and Travis. And had I not had that Sports Center assignment, assignments for Sports Center and College Football Live, et cetera, had I not had those assignments, I would have been scrambling to know what positions Tyreek Smith and Tommy Togiai. Were I knew they were defensive linemen, but I didn't know exactly what their contributions were and how to ensure that I was properly pronouncing their names. That's a big part of being someone that talks on television is name pronunciation. Since I've done games now this entire season, I understand 
the painstaking effort that you go through that entire roster for both teams leading up to games to make sure that you know how to pronounce their names. Yeah, so yeah, Tommy Togiai, which is, by looking at it, it's T-O-G-I-A-I. So right. take your guess on it. You also had kicker Blake Habio. Habio, right. <laughs> yep. So, and, yes. And, and so all of those things, it takes, it takes a great team to make, it, to make great television. It takes a great team of people. And, and it, that, that goes for like anything in entertainment, you know, like I think about my friends in music, they have phenomenal writers, phenomenal producers, phenomenal people who mix the records, phenomenal musicians, personal assistants, their crews of, of dozens of people who set up their sets and prepare people who do logistics to get them to it's, it takes such an amazing group of people to put these events on. And let me tell you something, man. So I'm all over the place on this one, guys. I'm sorry, but I want to shout out again. I did it a couple of weeks ago, and it was funny. I heard from some of the ladies. I heard from some of the ladies who uh, I shouted out a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to do it again. It's, it's our production operations group. It's, it's Trevor Bray. It's Lindsay Lloyd. It's Rebecca Preston. It's Aaron Knight. It's Dawn Wind. It's uh, I don't know. I want to make sure I don't forget anybody. But can, can I add one other person that's not in that group? But uh, Amanda Brooks from the PR team. Amanda Brooks, yes, and Maddie. Her all, all of these names. If we did not have them. I, I can't. You'd be, you'd be like chickens with your head cut off. We, you and we all the would. And team. I mean, they, people don't realize that these are the ones that get the show on the air because producers and everything do a great job. But trying to wrangle you, Yahoo's around. Good they, luck. Those ladies that I just mentioned set our schedules, facilitate our schedules tell us when we're supposed to leave in the morning to get where we're supposed to be in time. They check the traffic to let us know if we're, if we need to leave a little or like it's, it's insanity. They get, they, they, they do so much for us and I am so grateful for all of them. And it's, they, they do it at every major event that we have that we broadcast and cover. And and they are brilliant at their jobs. And it's funny, Lainey will tell you uh, anytime that I'm, I'm discussing my appreciation for those ladies, she just laughs. She goes, of course there's no dudes because you idiots can't do anything. You can't schedule. You can't keep a schedule. It's funny. But, but I'm just so grateful for those ladies. And I'll tell you, Travis, I was reminded, and, 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 and I meant to say this too, and, and you go from those ladies who, by the way, work an entire year. Just so you know, 1st of February, guess what they're doing? They're starting the conversations with Indianapolis for next January's college football playoff national championship. And then, and then I wanted to say this too. You go from those folks to our security team that are amazing at the logistics of getting all of those broadcasters from the TV compound where we do all of our preparation, all of our meetings to wherever our sets may be or wherever, wherever our appearances may be in the, in the safest, most efficient manner. Well, that's the thing is you think about usually they're having to deal with crowds, which makes it hard to get around. And this year they had to do it with COVID protocols. So even with, so no matter what, their job has not been easy. They're just brilliant. And I, I am I just wanted to take a minute to personally thank every one of them. Then you go to our <clears throat> excuse me. Then you go to our show producers and and our our set, our set directors. Uh, my boy Michael Madry is is my set director with SEC Nation and 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 Madry works with me at the Masters as well. Uh, just brilliant people all around. And it takes everybody in order for us to get on television and, and have the blessing of talking football. 
And, and I got to talk football for hours and hours and hours with three people that I consider to be brothers. And I can't describe to you how fulfilling it was. So, so let's first start with, you've been to numerous, you've been to basically every national championship game under the I've been CFB. to every single one in the college football playoff era. So what was it like just traveling to the stadium and going in? Weird. Because, because of the no fans, really. It was the so weird. I, Travis, I didn't lift the accelerator. I left my hotel in in uh, in Hollywood. It was in Hallandale Beach or Hollandale Beach. And I did not – I think it was about uh, nine miles away or ten miles away. And that ten miles – can be anything from 20 minutes to 50 minutes, depending on the traffic, um, the traffic on the highways at the time. I left my hotel, so I did the noon sports center, and then I taped for college football live after that. So I think my live shot was somewhere around 10 50, excuse me, excuse me, 12 15. Then I taped after that. So I probably left my hotel at about 12 30. On game day, on Monday, January 11th, I had a 2 p.m. live shot with Alyssa Lang and Ryan McGee on the Marty McGee program. I think it took me like, I want to say I got there in 30 minutes. And and eight hours out from a kickoff on a normal college football playoff national championship day? No, man. Uh Uh-uh. It wouldn't wouldn't happen that way. It would have been – hours earlier and so that was super weird and then the vibe around the stadium was just so weird because you the energy at the national championship is this explosive energy because there are it's a it's a party a quarter million people there you know eighty thousand of which get to go to the game and then there's fans and locals who just want to party and they're in the restaurants, they're in the bars, they're in the tailgates, they're in the parking lots, they're in and around, just experiencing the energy of a wonderful historic moment. And, I mean, I was actually talking to Paul Daly, one of those security guys that I mentioned. Paulie was walking me from doing the Paul Feinbaum show back to preparing in, my, in, our, in our green room for SEC Nation. And he goes, man, this is weird, isn't it? Because, like, there's nobody around. And it was very different. But then once we got to game time and there was music in the stadium and the teams are on the field and there's thousands of people in the stands, even though it certainly wasn't the same experience, it was still a beautiful experience. And and then, you know, once the game started, Travis uh, – Maybe we should just skip that part. No, like you know, you called me on Tuesday, and I had a other couple of people reach out to me and ask how I was doing. Listen, the, the game clearly didn't go how I was hoping for, and by halftime, my mindset was just try to enjoy the next thirty minutes because. So we're taping on January thirteenth. On August thirteenth, we did a podcast with Ross Bjork, Texas A M A D. And then Carl Hilliard and Randy Wade, parents of two Ohio State players. That was the most depressing podcast ever. Yep. Yeah, because and, and that that bears that that bears discussing too is now that we have had a season where five hundred and eighty seven games were played. Is that the right number? I want to say like that. Five eighty six coming in. It might be five thirty six. The numbers are skewed in my head. I know, I know that, that SEC, it was 36% less. I know the SEC played 69 of 71 games. Yep. I think I, I know that it was 36% less than, quote, normal. We didn't know if we'd have a season. And then you get to the place where, okay, we're going to start. I feel real confident that we're going to start, but, man, I don't think we're going to finish. And then we got to watch a national championship game against two very deserving teams. We got to watch a college football playoff for four deserving teams. And then we got to watch a national championship 
for two deserving teams. And and I said to Greg Sankey on the set, live on television, that his leadership to me was the most important variable in the entire thing. He was very measured and patient in that leadership approach. And, and then on top of, of what Mr. Sankey did, Ryan Day and Justin Fields fought like hell for that football season. I remember Scott Frost and everything that went Nebraska went through with, well, we'll play anybody. And, but he was adamant, we need football. And shout out to those guys because Nebraska took a lot of heat. And in they my took opinion, a whole ration of crap. And in, in my opinion, it was unwarranted, the crap that they took because they just wanted to play football. But because they were Nebraska and not Ohio State, it was like, know your role. Like, no, I, it does, shouldn't matter how good you are if you want to play. Right. And, and then Ryan Day and, and Justin Fields with the We Want to Play movement along with Trevor Lawrence, all of that stuff snowballed to the, to the place where, all right, we need to play. And, and so the fact that Ohio State went from – not th- th- for their season being canceled to this rebirth to all right we're going to we're going to get what we get and we're not going to get upset to having the opportunity to play in a national championship game at all is remarkable and, and so even there, though we you Buckeyes I, lost and i said that when we talked on tuesday yep there's no moral victories right. in sports but in this year being able to walk away with that Clemson victory, damn, it feels good. It sure it, – it, it, it should. And, and you know, look, shout out to Clemson too. I mean, Dabo Sweeney was, was adamant and passionate about how important the sport is to the young men, their overall well-being, the fact that being in the college football bubble was safer for them than being at home. And then you had Trevor Lawrence. We want to play. And so all of those variables were integral in the fact that we had a season at all. And now we've crowned a national champion, which is now now people are talking about it being the best team of all time. And Nick Saban, uh, look, uh, there's no debating whether he's the best college football coach of all time because that's, uh, that, that is 100% accurate. He is. And in my opinion, not debatable. And it was very, very cool for me to see him softened. We saw a different Nick Saban in 2020 because the selflessness and the sacrifice, every one of those players that we mentioned earlier who won all those awards, they had personal aspirations for greatness and whatnot, but they put the team aspirations before their own aspirations. And the damn determination and the discipline that all of the players across the country had to display is remarkable for anybody, but certainly for college-age young men. Yes, kudos to all of them. But when you think about it from the Alabama perspective, one, I hated how likable these guys are, and I'll get to that in a minute. But you had a lot of guys come back that could have went pro and then still didn't opt out when COVID's going on. It's uh, amazing. But Najee Harris... Uh, I hated how likable he is. And it, yep. and it con- continues to grow. After the game, they asked him how effortlessly he yeah, ran. And he's sweet. like, it wasn't, they were busting my ass. They were. He was like, they were, they were lighting my ass up. He's like, easy? What? Uh, I they, love that. This I Bama team it. might be the best Bama team ever. It's not the best team ever. I'll go ahead and I, say I, that. I, so I was saying, I was texting a friend of mine last night who is on the LSU staff. And I said, man, I would give anything to see 19 LSU against 20 Bama. It would be amazing to watch. Okay, but hold on a second. We're forgetting another team. If we just want to talk about the CFB era, what about 18 Clemson? 18 Clemson was phenomenal. And and our boy Eric McLean, actually said on Twitter the other day, the best team ever is the 18 Clemson Tigers. And 
all of that is, I would love to see that too. I mean, that's what's fun. That's what's fun is debating those types of things. And you and I, when we were chatting yesterday, while I was staring at the Atlantic Ocean off the 37th floor of my hotel, you said, hey, bro, don't forget 01 Miami. Yeah, if, if we want to go all time, it's 01 Miami. And it's to me, it's not even close. That yeah. team was, I mean, the dudes that weren't starting are Hall of Famers. Frank Gore. I think Frank Gore was a third string running back on that team. Like, rest in peace, Sean Taylor was behind Ed Reed. I know. It's just that, that ain't, man, we should do a whole podcast on that one day. We should try to get Ed Reed on. That's, that's, that's your homework. Let's try to get him on. Um, but anyway, congratulations to Alabama. Congratulations, to Coach Saban and everybody involved in that program. Um, Steve Sarkeesian heading to Texas was an absolute surgeon this year with creating mismatches on the perimeter for Devontae Smith and, and give, getting those guys the ball in space. It's just uh, the efficiency, man. The efficiency with which they operated uh, was surgical. I don't think I've ever seen an offense run where at any point Sark could say Devontae Smith hasn't had the ball in a little bit or Jalen Waddle or Najee and just basically call to play for that player and get him the ball in a way that it doesn't bog down the offense or it's not feeling like it's forced, but yet it is. And it works. It's amazing. that that, The motion that they used was. Yeah, Yeah, that was it. I mean, the the, the way that they utilized motion – to create space and to create mismatches. Uh, I mean, you just think about poor, tough Borland. I mean, when you're – he sees six running across, right down the middle of the field past him, and God bless tough, he was running as hard as he could go. I mean, he was running. He was giving it every last ounce of everything he had, and Devontae Smith just made it look like he was jogging. It was unreal. And the, the craziest stat of – everything that I've heard recently is that if you stay four years at Alabama under Nick Saban, you win a national championship. That's right. Yep. I mean, look, there's, there's no doubt. Look, man, the guy has now won seven titles in nine tries. Like, holy man. Like I I thought he was better before he surpassed Barrett Bryant considering scholarship limitations yeah, the, the and stuff era. like that. But now it's like it, that you can't even – It's and what, what's the thing that I hope Alabama fans will realize and remember, before Saban, Alabama was just another team. They sure were. And, look, they'll tell you that. They'll tell you that. And, and that, like, he, I don't know. Look, you guys know – Anybody that knows anything about me knows that I appreciate him a lot and on a lot of levels. And, and just on, and, and seeing, seeing the way that he opened himself up this year. I love the human element. Y'all all know that. And seeing the way that he opened himself up to something that remotely resembled vulnerability – was awesome. Just watching Allison Williams interview him after that game when he just could not – he was trying his ass off to stifle that smile. Couldn't do it. And then well, to see him in tears? In tears? Serious, man. Well, think about – and we had Barrett Jones on Marty McGee, and he's – one of the greatest things about Saban was his ability to adapt and adjust. And it wasn't that long ago that Nick Saban was publicly against – up-tempo offenses then he realized that complaining wasn't the answer the answer was evolution. let me go get lane kiffin that's right like he he isn't afraid to change and figure things out yeah and and one last thing before we get to mckenzie milton the former university of central florida quarterback who has transferred to florida state to play for mike norvell and that group and, and hopes to be the starting quarterback um, Steve Sarkeesian said something last week before, after he was announced as the head coach at Texas about Coach Saban that I found – I'm sorry, I'm going through my notes here, guys, and uh, I want to find this quote verbatim. I keep notebooks. I'm old school. Like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an old head, and one, one I write these, everything down. One of these 
days, we're just going to do like a podcast where I'm just going to tell you to grab a random notebook and then we're just yeah, going to read this. I mean, I have stacks of them on my desk here. We just need I, to do some random pods where it's just relive a no- whatever's in that notebook. All right. So I love this. Okay. The, to me, to me, and I said this on SEC Nation, and I've said this on, on many shows, Marty and McGee last Saturday, maybe even here on Marty Smith's America. The truest barometer to me of Nick Saban's brilliance is the fact that he has coached in six national championships at Alabama with a coordinator who had a foot out the door having already accepted a head coaching job elsewhere. Jim McElwain in 2011 was headed to Colorado State. Kirby Smart headed to Georgia. Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee. Lane Kiffin, Florida Atlantic. Mike Loxley, Maryland. Sark, Texas. I love this quote from Sark about coaching under Nick Saban, which maybe it'll be Bill O'Brien who takes over that offensive coordinator role. Maybe it'll be Adam Gase. There's been plenty of people rumored. Right now it seems like Bill O'Brien is the leader in the proverbial clubhouse, former Texans head coach. But here's what Steve Sarkeesian said. You need to understand your role. There's humility that you need to come into it with. Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. He's a tremendous mentor, and if you allow yourself to be mentored, you gain even more out of the experience of working for him. Be a sponge so that if you do get an opportunity like I'm getting now at Texas, you're a better coach down the road. That's what Sark did. You could see it, man. You can see the you can see the gratefulness that he has. And I wish him nothing but the best at the University of Texas because Travis, you know it as well as I know it. That's a national brand too. And if Texas is good, it's good for college football. I wish him well. I hope he doesn't have total success because that state has been <laughs> great. That state has been great to Ohio State. But back to Urban or back to Urban uh Saban, when Urban beat him. It's funny that how many people said that the Bama dynasty was over. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. They were sorely mistaken. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, we all we all won't do overs. Um, all right, that brings us to this week's interview. As I said earlier in the podcast, Mackenzie Milton is somebody that I admire tremendously for his grace and for his humility in the face of adversity. I've learned a lot from him and his example, and. I'm very grateful that he took 15 or 20 minutes to spend time with me this morning to chat about his path and what his dreams look like in the future. Here's Florida State University quarterback Mackenzie Milton. You may not recall this because it was quick, and I feel certain you have people say these things to you every day, but after that season opener when UCF was at Georgia Tech, I sought you out to thank you for your grace and for the example Mm. that you set for everybody in the face of heartbreak and adversity and for inspiration. And it bears repeating because you've inspired so many people like me with your tenacity to return to. And I want to start right there. Why return? What is it about football that you have to have it in your life right now? So I just love to compete and, you know, it's just I just didn't want to go out like that. You know what I mean? So I'm sure it's the same thing with, you know, a guy like Alex Smith, um, guy like Jalen Smith, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, not to say it'd be a coward's way out because, you know, it's something that's hard to go through. But just the competitor in me and, you know, just the way I'm wired, that's just not the way I wanted, you know, my football career to end. I didn't think that's how it was supposed to end. So, you know, that's why I've been working so hard to get back and, I'm grateful that, you know, this upcoming year I'll be able to step back on, on the field and lace them up again. You ever get a chance to chat with any of those guys you just mentioned, Alex or Teddy or or maybe a Marcus Lattimore or any of those guys? Yeah, over quarantine, Alex Smith shot me a text. Um, my buddy uh, Trey Quan Smith, he teammates with Teddy. So, you know, I got to reach out to Teddy. Shoot, those guys are just, I mean, aside from coming back from their injuries, they're just solid guys, you know. They had to rely on their faith. Um, that's what kind of got them through their injury. And, you know, I've kind of leaned on the same thing, um, trusting God and just trusting timing and, 
you know, not getting impatient when it's something that's hard to do because, you know, your mind's telling you one thing, but your body's not letting you do something else. So, you know, definitely drawing inspiration from guys like that. And, you know, it's definitely a, been a long journey, but, you know, seeing guys that have come out on the other side of it has definitely been, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel for me. Even though so many people support you, they didn't live it. And so I wonder what is it like when you actually talk to somebody like that who lived almost the exact same thing that you are like, yes, damn it. That's exactly what I'm feeling. You get yeah. it. The day I got hurt, um, Zach Miller reached out to me, tight end from the Bears, you know, identical injuries. And, you know, just over the past two, three years, you know, I've just been reaching out to him, just, just talking about the same things that he went through and same things that I've been going through. Just kind of drawing motivation from each other. I feel like when something like this happens to anybody, you know, it can be a lonely time, but, you know, when you can rely on others to kind of help motivate you and draw you through it, it makes it all the more easier. So, you know, leaning on those guys and then having guys to go through therapy with me while I was at UCF, you know, just day in and day out grinding, going through through that pain of, you know, breaking up scar tissue, trying to push your body to, to the limits it hasn't done in a long time. And just relearning all that is, is hard, but, you know, when guys are going through it with you, it makes it all more easier. Mackenzie, there might be people listening, even though your story's been told, and we've all seen it on television with Rinaldi's amazing piece on game day. We've seen it in print, but some people might not be familiar with it. So if you were telling it to someone who did not know it, how would you tell it? You know, I was just a kid when I got hurt, you know, and I'm still a, I'm still a kid. I'm still growing up. So, you know, dealing with um, learning to walk, learning to run, you know, that's one thing. And then all the other distractions of being a college student, you know, that's that's a whole other um, thing in itself. So, you know, I'm still finding my way as a, as a young man, but, you know, I'm grateful for the people that I've had with me. And, you know, there's been some good days. There's been some bad days. You know, I, I'm just grateful that, you know, I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel now being here at Florida State and, you know, just knowing that, you know, I'm getting back to normal with what I've been able to do in the past. And, you know, I feel really good. And, you know, I feel like, um, you know, we're going to do some special things here in 2021. So here's the synopsis for those of you who may not know. Quarterback comes from Hawaii, goes to a what was at the time an irrelevant college football program at the University of Central Florida, goes undefeated for two years, should have been in New York as one of the Heisman finalists, had a couple of the finest years we've ever seen in college football, uh, made that irrelevant college football program a national brand, and then suffered a catastrophic knee injury, from which he is still working back two years later. Is that a fair synopsis? Synopsis, yeah. Okay. It's an amazing story. And I wonder what people are saying. What should we learn from you? Um, and be, don't be humble. I understand it's hard to talk about yourself in this life. But what you're doing is remarkable. That's one thing I've kind of learned is like, you know, everything that happens doesn't necessarily have to be good, good or bad. You know, everything that happens just happens. So, so one thing I've just kind of learned is you can never get too high or too low in what's going on. You know, enjoy the – Enjoy the good moments, but they aren't going to last forever. And in the bad moments, you know, you can always learn something from that. So, you know, I feel like this knee injury was meant to be part of me. And, you know, from the time I was born, I feel like, you know, this was meant to happen. You know, at first, maybe I didn't realize why, but, you know, if kids that are, you know, I've had so many kids just reach out to me via social media, uh, I had this knee injury, how do I come back? I'm like, you know, there's no way around it. You know, you got to go through it. There's a Under Armour commercial with Tom Brady. It says the only way is through. And with something like this, like you got to go through it. You got to push through that obstacle. You can't go around it. You can't try and take a step past it. You got to put a head on and, you know, you got to go through it. And it's something that's tough. But once you start seeing those little inches, inches, the inches become yards and then they become miles. And then before you know it, it's in the past and, you know, you're back to normal. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if anything you can learn from me is just take it day by day. You know, everything that good that happens in your life was meant to happen. And everything that bad that happens in your life is meant to happen, whether it's in your control or someone else's control. 
or you couldn't control it at all. You know, you got to take everything with a grain of salt and keep moving forward. When you woke up from that original surgery in the, I guess, November of 18, you just wanted your toe to move. Like that was the goal of your doctors was for the toe to move. And now what you just said is you're getting close to back to normal. How close are you to what you consider normal? I would say I feel about 90% right now. Um, you know, from the time I wake up, you know, it's a thing to like get my leg going. Just, um, you know, whether it's getting in the whirlpools, uh, getting on the heat packs, just loosening my leg up. But once I feel loose, once I feel ready to go, you know, I feel like a good athlete. I feel like, you know, I can perform at a high level. So it's just one of those things. Um, I'm just a veteran now in college. It takes a little little longer for my body to wake up. But when it does, you know, I feel really good. Um, my arm feels better than it's ever felt. You know, I'm running the same speed. Uh, I'm still in a brace, um, but that's just for, you know, structural reasons. You know, doctor wants me in the brace for now, so I'll continue to wear the brace. But you know, like I said, day by day, you know, I'm getting better. And, you know, hopefully I can get out of that eventually. Um, and, you know, like I said, seeing guys like Teddy Bridgewater play without a brace um, and Jalen Smith being one of the best linebackers mm-hmm. brace, you know, just seeing those guys do it, there's, there's no reason why I can't. What was it like for you running back out on the field at UCF as the scout team guy? Yeah, you know, I told the guys, you know, that was my favorite moment just being in college, just being able to practice again. You know, you take those little things for granted um, when they get taken from you. So, uh like I said, it is the most fun I had in college, just being out there practicing, running the scout team, um, you know, helping out the young guys, helping defense while I was at UCF. And, you know, I, I don't take those moments for granted anymore. Why was Florida State right? Man, you know, it's something you dream about as a kid, you know, playing out a program like this. And um, Coach Norvell, you know, I competed against him while he's at Memphis. I know he's a high-energy guy, high-intensity guy, and, you know, I feel like he's the kind of guy that can bring out the best in me and, you know, help me take my game to another level. And, you know, when they called me, you know, they didn't even ask about the knee. They're like, you know, if we don't feel like you're a dummy, if you didn't think you could go, you you wouldn't be transferring. You'd be getting into coaching already. So just that, you know, like I knew I was good to go, but just them having the – the confidence and the belief in me to come in and compete and, you know, help push the other QBs to get better, better too. And, you know, try and help this program get back to where they should be. Um, it's a, and it was only a, a, a quick little drive from Orlando too. So it was easy. Um, <laughs> How'd you react when they called? I was excited. You know, when, when I put my name in, in the transfer portal, you know, I was, I was kind of in the back of my mind. I was hoping that, you know, a school like Florida State would call just because, you know, I knew what Coach Norvell and those guys were about. And, you know, I know it's some, something we could do is special here. And uh, I was just excited. You know, I, you know, I talked to my dad, talked to my mom. You know, it didn't take long for me to decide this is where I wanted to be. Uh, I mean, just here at Florida State, you see the logo, you, you know what it's about, you know what you're getting. So um, I feel like we got a good group of guys here, only being here about a week. But, you know, they've all welcomed me with open arms so far. And, you know, there's just a certain, like, peace I have about it. You know, like, it's, there's no hesitation. There's no, um, well, maybe if I did this, like, I, I'm all in. And I'm super excited about it. Where's that peace come from? Like I said, just knowing everything happens for a reason. Someone asked me the other day, is like, if you go back in college knowing you'd be at a, a different school, would you change anything? I said, maybe I would have made some wiser choices, but – wouldn't you know I wouldn't wouldn't change anything about it you know this is how my story is supposed to unfold and you know hopefully we can go out and have a lot of success on the football field next year and you know I feel like I'll do my best give give the team my best foot foot forward to put us in the best possible position to win games are you tired of telling your story in a way yes because I'm just ready for the next thing you know I'm always looking for what's next um but at the same time, you know, if people ask me, you know, I'm not one to shy away from it because it is who I am. It's, you know, it's made me, you know, the person I am today. And, you know, I feel like it, the injury is just part of it, you know. Um, for me, it's always about what's next, you know. Like you said, 
after I got hurt, I was trying to wiggle my toes. So I was wiggling my toes. Okay, what's after that? You know, so um, there's always going to be some bumps in the road. I know that. Um, I know it's not always going to be, you know, flowers and roses. You know, that's not life. Life is hard sometimes. So, um, and, I, and I know there's going to be some challenges here at Florida State. You know, I'm not naive to think that there won't be, but, you know, I'm just grateful to be at a place like this where, you know, you have great resources, great coaches, great supporting cast, and it's going to be second to none up here. What was the most difficult moment throughout this entire process for you? Oh, uh, shoot, getting an infection in my leg. Um, because I was about four or five months post-op uh, after my reconstruction. And, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty good. You know, I was doing squats. You know, I, was, I felt like I was turning the corner with the range of motion and you know i really felt like i you know i was going to be back on the field um not in the near future but pretty soon uh, and then i got an infection which resulted in about four more surgeries and you know that just caused the need to lock up on me uh couldn't get range of motion back so that was that was definitely the toughest moment and you know just the biggest gut check having to do like iv antibiotics through a pick line in my arm um shoot uh, that was just, yeah, that was just hard, um, you know, for, and honestly, probably set me back about six or seven months, at least, like, and, you know, just being back. If that didn't happen, you know, there's a chance I probably would have played last year, but like I said, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, if it happened, I might not be at Florida State, so I'm just grateful to be here. You were living the college football dream, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you became a household name, and then you lived a college football nightmare. So I wonder what your what does what does your dream look like now? Now that you do have new beginnings, shoot, you know the dream's still the same. You know I want to play in the NFL one day. Um, you know, I've had that dream since a little kid, but you know, however my life unfolds, you know I just want to put my best foot forward in whatever I'm doing, whether it's um, coaching, playing, being a good teammate. You know, shoot, if I if I don't even start this year, you know I want to. Want to be the best teammate possible, and you know I know that'd be a tough pill to swallow, but <laughs> you know whether it's whatever it is, you know, you know I'm all in. You given have you given any consideration to what it will be like running back out on a field with fans in the stands and hearing your name over that loudspeaker again? You know, I try to put myself in that, you know, like envision that and um, you know imagine that moment and those emotions I'll feel just so when the time comes I'm not overwhelmed. Um, but I don't think you can, you know, simulate something like that. You know, I look at the, the stadium here and just imagine it full uh, when we play Notre Dame uh, November 5th. Um, I'm going to be fired up and, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be something special. Yeah, I mean, dude, dude, that is the dream. Yeah. If you're the no, quarterback 100%. for the Florida State Seminoles and you're opening the season against Notre Dame on September yeah. 5th, yeah, that's every little kid's dream. 100%. That's what I said. That's what I was saying, man. You can't, like I said, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change a thing, you know. You know, I was meant to be here. Um, time at UCF was great. It wouldn't change a thing there, and, but it all led me to here. So I'm going to put my best foot forward in this last year of eligibility and, you know, give FSU everything I got, give these coaches, these teammates everything I got. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like that'll be enough and then some. For someone so young, I can't imagine the personal evolution you've undergone from who you were in October of 2018 to who you are here in January of 21. How would you describe that personal evolution? Shoot, you know, just learning a lot of lessons, learning a lot of patience. Um, but at the same time, I still got a lot, a lot of room to grow, you know, um, yeah, I still got a lot of growing up to do. I'm still only 23. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times, like, I have to check myself because I'm an old head in the locker room <laughs> times when I'm around the young guys, um, especially just because I'm a new face here. But I got to remember, you know, I'm a, a six-year senior now in college. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, just learning patience throughout all this and, you know, learning that everything happens for a reason and, you know, everything that happens necessarily isn't good or bad. It's just something that happens. And, you know, you got to take everything with a grain of salt, like I said. So that's just something that I've learned. And, you know, I know 
in the future, there'll be more setbacks, but you know, those setbacks don't define you. How you react to them is, is what defines you. Well, I, uh, I'm really grateful for your time, for your influence, uh, and your example, man. Thank you, Marty. It's, uh, you, bro. if everybody had that kind of grace, we'd be in a lot better place, brother. Shoot. Well, I still got, I still got to work on myself. So I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep keeping on. You do the same, man. I appreciate you taking the time. You got it. I, I look forward to seeing you this coming up season and uh, yes, we sir. all wish the best for you. Take care, yes, brother. Sir. Appreciate you. My hope for you guys having heard him is that you take something away from that approach because his life was changed. The trajectory of what his dreams looked like changed. His dreams were shattered for a bit. His life changed in an instant from I'm one of the best football players in the country to will I have a leg? Well, and think about that. He – He's 23 now, so the injury happened, what, when he's like 19, 20 years old or whatever? A couple years, yeah, it was a couple years ago, yep. And at one point, his goal in life after that injury was move my toes. Think right. about that. Yeah, just move your toes. Just move your toes. And, and it, he deeply impacted me, and I was so grateful that I had the opportunity at that Georgia Tech game, Georgia Tech-UCF game, just to grab him by the arm for a minute and say – you inspire the hell out of me, and I'm not alone. Millions of people are inspired by your example. And I didn't and think about – go, go ahead. He's so humble that he doesn't say much in response. You know, thank you. Like, he doesn't – that's why I asked him right there. Like, I don't want to annoy him with questions about his path if he's tired of talking about it. Like, I wonder because he's so chill. He's from Hawaii, man. Like – He's just got that uber chill vibe about him. But I don't want him to have to discuss something that he doesn't want to talk about, and I loved his answer. Yeah, you kind of do, but then you realize that that's your place. That's God's plan for you, and you embrace it, and you appreciate the opportunity to, to tell all those high school kids who are calling you, man, I blew my knee apart. Can I come back from this? That's, that's the legacy, and my prayer for him is that that legacy continues to evolve to I'm starting, I'm all the way back, and I'm starting against Notre Dame. And I didn't think about this, but like that injury, no matter what level, is hard. But add in, you, like these college kids, guess what? They, they still have class to deal with. His family's thousands of miles away. Like it's hard on anybody, but for him specifically, and then I was glad to hear that these NFL players immediately reached out to him. How amazing was that? Uh, I loved – that was in my – it was one of the number one questions that I wondered was, it's one thing in life to have support in adversity, and you're so grateful for that support. But it's a whole different level of support – when you're speaking with someone who lived the exact same thing and genuinely knows everything that comes with it. And the fact that he got to chat with Alex Smith, the fact that he got to chat with Teddy Bridgewater, the fact that he got to chat with these guys who, who lived the same exact setback was really cool. And he's right, though. You look at those players now. Alex Smith going out there. Teddy Bridgewater. Jalen Smith is balling. He's one of the best linebackers in the world. And so he had the same thing. He was playing Notre Dame. They were in the old. It was, it was the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. Against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Okay. Catastrophic injury. And, you know, you go from a guy that's third or fourth on the big board to, am I going to play again? And – Jerry Jones and those guys took a chance on him, and by golly, they're glad they did now. All I'm going to say is uh, ESPN bosses, uh, can you give Marty the Florida State Notre Dame uh, assignment? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> can can Let's we go. start? Can we start? I mean, it worked for the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Can we start uh, pushing for that right now? Let's go. Uh, I would love that. And I just appreciate McKenzie's time. Travis, great job getting him. Thanks so much to Derek Satterfield and everybody down at FSU for arranging that for us. And McKenzie, thank you for your example. Um, thank you so much as well to our law enforcement officials all over the country. 
working hard to keep these communities safe, our first responders for saving lives every day, and every member of the United States military, our active members and our veterans, thank you so much for your sacrifice for giving us the greatest nation in the world. I'm so proud to be an American. Y'all have an amazing week. Thank you so much for listening to Marty Smith's America, and we'll see you next time around.